Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Thank you. Uh, as you can see, I don't have my little helper this week. Um, yeah, thank you, one person. Uh, but as it said, Beatrice will return, so we'll see her again. Um, in the meantime, anybody's welcome to come up here and run around if they want. I know that Fish and Sean both are excited for that. Uh, so, so there was a uh, young boy who ran into a barbershop. And there was this guy getting his hair cut by the barber, because that's what happens in a barbershop. And so uh, the barber whispers to the guy getting his hair cut, and he's like, hey, watch this. Like, you're not going to believe this kid. Like, he just, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so the barber walks up to the kid and holds out uh, two quarters and a dollar bill. And he's like, take whichever one you want. It's all yours. And so the kid grabs the two quarters and runs. And he goes back to the, the guy, the barber goes back to the guy and says, hey, see, like he does this all the time. And it's just, it's so funny to me. And so, you know, the haircut finished and it went on. And so the guy walks out and he sees the kid running out of the ice cream shop. And he's like, hey, you know, son, I don't want to bother you, but I'm just curious, why did you take 50 cents over the dollar? And the kid looks at him and takes a lick of his ice cream cone and says, because as soon as I take the dollar, he'll stop giving it to me. So we are continuing the Amazing Acts series, and this is such a cool series. And if you pay attention during the bumper, you see the timeline of the church, and it's so exciting that we get to be a part of this. And so each week we're talking about people who help to start what we continue, and what we're able to do, and what we're able to do through him in his church. And so this week, uh, I want to talk about where some trouble started to pop up for the church. Now, all along, there was a lot of trouble and persecution, but... As I'm going to say in just a couple minutes, something really bad happens and something shocking. And so I want to go straight to Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Uh, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So Herod Agrippa, you've probably heard that name several times, but he is the grandson of Herod the Great, in quotes, uh, who is the king, the Herod that we know from the Christmas story, who uh, was going after Jesus and his family and killing babies and all of these awful things that he was doing just to try to stop Jesus from coming up, just to hold on to his power. And then he's also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who was partially responsible for the trial of Jesus. And so there's a real family thing going on here against the church and against Jesus and against everything. And so that part wasn't shocking to the church. They, were, they had grown to expect everyone to kind of be against them that was in power. But at the time, and as we've seen throughout this series, the church had been growing by leaps and bounds, like hugely growing uh, beyond anything that, that was imagined, beyond anything that the disciples and the people in the church even expected. It was growing and growing and growing, and they even had some major uh, conversions. Saul, for example, this guy who had once gone against them was now one of their strongest supporters. And Cornelius and all of these people were now coming over to worship and to lead and to help bring other people. And so the church was experiencing this, this huge uh, period of victory. And then they'd lost some people. We know Stephen was murdered. And so it wasn't that they were not used to loss. But James was one of the twelve. 
James was more than that, one of the top three of the disciples, the leaders, James, Peter and John. And in fact, James and John had gone to Jesus once and said, hey, we want to take your cup. We want to be just like you. We want to leave. We want to to build. And Jesus said to them, hey, you don't know what goes along with this because it's not all good. It's not all grapefruit and cereal. I don't know why I said that. I don't even like grapefruit. There's some tough times that come along with this. And James and John both said, we know, but we love you and we want to show you and we want to serve you. And so they did. And so again, James is up there. And then all of a sudden, Peter gets arrested. And so now the church, she's two of its leaders. Again, they'd seen loss, they'd seen people hurt, they'd no strangers to persecution, but they'd seen two of its leaders. And, and Peter was considered the rock of the church. He was one of the big ones. And then James and John. And so only John of those three is left. And now members of the 12 are starting to go. And so you can imagine throughout the church, imagine that. Everything is going really well. And then all of a sudden, one of your leaders is killed. And then another one is arrested and you're pretty sure he's going to be killed. And so you can imagine how shaken they would be, how scared they would be, how frightened, how how worried, how concerned, wondering what's going to happen to the rest of them. If the 12 can be captured, any of us can. And so it could have reverberated throughout the church. But it wasn't all bad. And by that, the soldier guarding James was executed along with him. Now, you may be like, why is that good? Well, here's the key. You see, James, up until his death, continued to witness, continued to show Jesus, continued to be just like him in every way. And the soldier was so affected by his words, by his example, by his life, that he became a Christian. The soldier guarding him. The soldier who had no skin in the game. The soldier who had never been to church before. The soldier who was responsible for keeping this dangerous revolution in. He fell to his knees and accepted Christ through the words, through the actions of James. And so even up until his death, James continued to be the church. Continued to show that nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop the Lord. Nothing can stop the church. If we keep going, if it keeps going, if he keeps going. And so, even about to die, James shows what we can do, who we can be in the face of trials, in the face of tribulations, in the face of trouble, in the face of hurt. Now, Herod, he didn't care about that. As far as he saw, it's just another guy dead. And he's like, I'm taking down the church one by one. Everybody likes this. All he cared about was the political power. All he cared about was the popularity. All he cared about was being seen as powerful. Now, often people who only care about power really are weak. And we know that about Herod throughout history. But right now, he's really got the upper hand, he thinks. And so he was holding Peter until after Passover. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this. Number one, he wanted to wait until all the attention was back on him. So that everybody would see, hey, look at Herod, look at Herod. Number two, a bunch of... Obviously, a bunch of pilgrims every year came to Passover. And so Herod was a little bit worried. What if some of these new guys come in and kind of revolt or what happens? So let's just wait until I have a controlled situation. Number three, he wanted to appear that he was observing Passover, that he was at least aware of its existence. So people would be like, oh, that Herod, he's one of us. Like he's, he knows what he's doing. He's just one of the guys. He understands us. He likes us. He knows what we, we worship. But I think 
maybe the primary reason is he wanted to hurt Peter. He wanted to hold him away from his friends, from his family, from the Passover. He wanted to hold him and hurt him and scare him. And he shows that by having four squads of four soldiers each on Peter. I remind you, Peter's one person. Just one person. Now, he'd escaped from prison before. And, you know, some of us can say that, but not all of us. He'd escaped from prison before. But still, it's just one person. And so in that act, Herod is actually showing the fear that he actually has. The fear that he's actually holding on to. He's like, this one person may defeat me. Now, I don't know who all saw that at the time, but I'm pretty sure it was more than zero. They're like, this guy, he says he's tougher than us, but he's got all of these soldiers on one person. And so what does the church do? They can't go to court because Herod's in charge of that. The system doesn't work. So they pray. And they pray and they pray and they pray. And in the scripture it says they pray earnestly, which means they poured everything into this. They didn't focus about the the day-to-day bickering. They didn't focus about trouble. They didn't focus about uh, problems in their own lives. They focused entirely on praying for Peter, on praying for the church, on praying for God's work to be done. Two of their three main leaders are in danger. One of them's dead. And they pray. And so I have a quote from C.S. Lewis about this. Enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Before I go on to that quote, I want to emphasize one important thing. Understand that it is the territory that is enemy occupied. The people are not the enemy. Never, ever see people as the enemy. That is where the trap is. That is where the church starts to fail. When we start to see the enemy as people. When we start to see people as evil. When we start to see people as bad. When when we think about them not as individuals but as a group. And yet the territory, the world is obviously troubling. The world is obviously bad. We can see that. You can turn on the news for like three seconds and see that. So what do we do? In those days they prayed. That's what we do. That's important too. But C.S. talks about a great campaign of sabotage, which means from within, which means that you pray, you witness, you example, you show who you are, you show what the church is, you show the power of Christ through the way that you live with prayer, with hope, with his example. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came into an evil world, a horrible world. A world in which the religious leaders were persecuting its own people. A world in which they were profiting off its own people. And he came in. And he got 12 people to follow him and a lot more. And they went around and they helped people. They didn't go after the government. They didn't try to take down leaders. They just prayed and they helped and they set the example. And they showed the true power. True power comes from being sure That you serve God. True power comes from Him and Him alone. And they showed that. And we show that. Going to verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. 
The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. The angel ordered. So Peter left the cell. Following the angel, I don't know why I said that word. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Before I talk about that escape, I want to remind you of something about Peter, about who he was at one point. This is the same Peter who saw Jesus walking on the water and said, I want to follow you. Good start. And then he took a couple steps and he focused on the words around him, on the storms around him, on the trouble around him. He focused on the fact, I can't be doing this. Now he succeeded for a second. But he focused on, I can't do this. This is impossible. I'm not like Jesus. What am I going to do? Everybody's looking at me. Everybody's waiting for me to fail. Everybody is all around. The storms are coming. I'm in danger. And he focused on that. And he sank. This is the same Peter who over and over again was really up and really down and said the right thing sometimes and said the wrong thing sometimes. It was so brash. This is the Peter who had just lost his brother James who knew that he was probably going to die. He had lost his friend, and he's probably wondering, what about John? What about the rest? What about the church? Can it survive? The Peter that had sunk was gone. The Peter that grabbed Jesus' hand and allowed him to lift him up, though, he was here. And so he saw Christ, and even though There were storms all around him, and it's an impossible situation. He didn't see them. In fact, he wasn't even sure if he was awake or asleep. Now, it sounds kind of silly, but that's how much he trusted God, is he just acted. It didn't matter to him. He just acted. It had become his nature, not second nature, but his nature. He was no longer in danger of sinking. Now, he had troubles and trials, and he wasn't perfect. But he acted as soon as an angel appeared. He didn't wait, wait, are you sure you're here for me? Uh, Are you sure that we can get through this? Are you sure that I'm awake? Maybe I should hold myself. That kind of hurt, I shouldn't have done that. He just acted because he trusted God. He had built this trust. He knew who he was. He loved him. He had cuffs on, they fell off. He was in a cell, sure. The guards are asleep, sure. It didn't matter if it made sense. It didn't matter what happened. All he knew was, I'm going to follow God. And so he did. The problem for some of us is sometimes we worry about that iron gate well before we ever get to it. There's not an actual iron gate over there, guys. Some of you looked and you're like, what? Some of us worry about that iron gate before we get to it. And that's all we think about. We wake up. What about this? We go to sleep, what about this? We try to act, what about this? And we just think about that iron gate. Whereas Peter shows us, trust him. Trust him entirely. Follow him. Because I have news for you. If we are following him, if we are truly following him, if we are trying to be like him, if we are trusting him, whatever path is supposed to be open will be open for us. That's a guarantee. He never lets us go. 
He will always have his hand out. That doesn't mean that we're going to be successful in every situation, but it means that we will have the right path. We will follow him. He will be with us. I have another quote. Faith does not mean trusting God to stop the storm, but trusting him to strengthen us as we walk through the storm. If it meant that we trust him to stop the storm again, I've said this before, this place would be packed. We'd have standing room only. It'd be like Sean's Taylor Swift concert. Funny story, I told this to him, but I saw his post where he was standing next to a cardboard cutout of Taylor Swift. This is going to show you how hip and cool I am. I thought it was I Dream of Jeannie. I didn't recognize her at all. So, take that to mean what you want. It'd be packed here every week. People would be just falling all over themselves to, to become Christians, to live for Him. If I could say, no more storms. But if I were to go person by person, not just in this room, but around the world to every Christian, regardless of how long they've been a Christian, hey, do you ever have storms? Yeah. All of us have had that. Everyone has storms. And so it doesn't mean we're trusting Him to annihilate those storms. It means we're trusting Him to be with us through them, to strengthen us through them. Because if this were easy, everybody would do it. Now, this does not at all mean that James didn't have faith, because he absolutely did. And we saw that with the way, even as he's about to die, he's witnessing. There are a lot of people who would have been captured and know they're about to die and said, hey, hey, please spare my life, please. I, I don't want to die. I don't want to do this. What did James do? He said, hey, let me tell you why I'm dying. And let me tell you how worth it this is. And the soldier believed him. Because he saw it in him. It wasn't just his words. It was the way that he truly exhibited it. Truly believed it. Showed that this life was worth dying for. That this life was worth everything. And in his death, he helped someone else go to heaven. So he had faith. Peter had faith also. Now he continued to live. But one by one, all of the disciples except for one, were put to death for their faith. John continued. We cannot know the outcome of our lives. We cannot know if the seeds we plant will be allowed to sprout by the person we plant them with. But we can know that He is there. And we can know that they have the opportunity. And we can know that our life is an example. And we can know that this life is worth it. The storms are going to happen. But so is God's will. I have a story, not from my own life, but there, is a, there was a Tibetan Christian named Sundar Singh. And so uh, he was preaching the word in the Tibetan area. And he was preaching for Jesus. He was talking about his own conversion. He was talking about the importance of following Christ. And the official in the area, the head official, tossed him into a well, which was kind of like a prison, and locked the door. Now, this isn't just like your garden variety well, where we all love to be locked in. This was a well with a bunch of corpses down there, and skeletons, and it smelled pretty bad. I don't know if you've ever been in a well filled with corpses. If you have, maybe don't talk to me. But, 
It was a bad situation and the door was locked. And so he's there day after day. He's there on the third day. On the third day, he heard someone unlocking the cover. And I would imagine he thought, well, they're going to put me to death now. But instead, a rope was lowered down. And he heard a voice saying, take the rope. Now, his arm had been hurt in the fall. But the rope had a loop for his foot. And so he put his foot in it and he pulled it up. The guy, the person pulled him up. And so he quickly, Sundar quickly turned and relocked the gate on the well, the cover on the well. And then he turned to thank whoever helped him and nobody was there. No one was there. And so he thought, that's odd. Maybe they ran away. Maybe they're hiding. Whatever he thought. But then morning came. And what did he do? Right back to preaching in the same spot. Right back to talking about his, his victory. Right back to talking about what Jesus had done. Right back to showing who he was. And then they arrested him again. And the head official was angry this time. He's like, one of you took the key. And you unlocked this gate and let him out. And so there was a, a kingdom-wide search for the key. And it was latched to the head official's belt. Just to draw the lines together for you, to connect the dots. This was in the early 1900s, not in the days of the Bible. Which shows us that God never stopped acting. That the church never stopped acting. That he never stopped being with us. He never stopped doing miracles. He rescued this guy just like he did the disciples. Because of his will. Because of his power. Because of his love. Acts did not end. The church did not end. We continue. We persist. We show who he is. That's our role. That's our goal. That's why we're doing this series. That's why I'm standing here. Because he is always working. And so we have to also. Last part of the scripture. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered in prayer. So Peter finally realizes, hey, I'm out. Hey, this wasn't a dream. I'm awake. And so immediately he goes to pray with other believers. He doesn't run around saying, I'm so glad I'm out and, and man, I'm going to go do whatever I want now. He says, back to work, just like Sunday. Back to service, back to being like him. And so he goes and he prays. Now, spoiler alert, this was not the end of Peter's trials. But he continued going forward. He continued living for him. He continued being an example because an example had been set for him. And so he followed it and he showed it and he lived it. Now, we don't face what they faced. But there are still troubles in our lives. There are still people who look at us differently, who think of us differently. There are still times where we feel that someone may hate us or turn away from us. There are obviously still storms in our life and troubles and, and personal problems and all of these things that happen. There are disagreements, there are hard times, all of this stuff is true. We can still be hurt, we can still be scared, we can still feel alone, so what do we do? And final quote. 
Don't underestimate your own strength. To persevere. To make it through the most difficult of times. And just as importantly, don't underestimate your ability to help someone else during the most difficult times. Sometimes all it takes is a kind word or gesture to help someone make it through their day. Sometimes we look at things and think, I need to have the solution before I tell people about my walk, about my life, about my faith. I need to have the, all the answers before I even go out there. No, you don't. You just need to have one. You need to know him. You need to follow him. You need to exemplify him. Don't underestimate your own strength because you are stronger than you know with him. You are braver than you think with him. You're more able than you can imagine with him. Because with him, all things are possible. With him, we are shown a greater way, a greater love, a greater hope, a greater everything. Because he is the only one. This is Jared Padalecki. I've probably talked about him before because there's a writer's strike and so I'm on reruns a little bit like I told Sean. Good. One person laughed. That's all I wanted. Uh, I kind of know his faith. I know that he's a Christian. I don't know church stuff and all that. I just know he's a family guy. But I do know that about 12, 13 years ago, he is the star of my favorite show, uh, he tried to kill himself. And I won't go into the, the details of what happened. I've told this story before to people. I will gladly tell you after. But he tried to kill himself. He felt alone and he felt broken. And as he was about to do that, a call came. And it was from his castmate and friend. And, and you know, they talked and he realized in that moment I don't have to feel like this. I can accept help. There is a better way. And he realized in that moment, not just I'm going to be different, but I'm going to help other people. And so as you know, on Tuesdays I have a class called Always Keep Fighting that comes from him. Because he started the Always Keep Fighting uh, format, the Always Keep Fighting program, the Always Keep Fighting whatever you want to call it, to help people see that there's another way, to see that if you're fighting, you're winning. And if you keep going, then there is hope. And so I take that and I show that if you keep going, he's always there. Jesus is always there. He's always helping us. He's always lifting us up. He's always with us. If we just keep going, it does not mean that we don't need help. In fact, we will. But it means that there will be people there to help us, that we have to let others in, that we have to show. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt, because it will. But we keep trying, we keep fighting, and we don't have to have all the answers sometimes. It's just a kind word. It's just a gesture. It's just not being a jerk. It's just being understanding. It's just listening. It's just helping. Because everybody is dealing with something. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own thing that we cannot imagine that it's not on the forefront of everyone else's mind. But we are the church. And we are like Jesus. And even as Jesus was on his way to death, he showed the example of who to be. He prayed for his followers. He helped people. Even as James was on the way to death, he helped change the life eternally of one person. 
Even as Peter was in jail, even as Peter eventually was on his way to death, he showed who Jesus is. No matter what we face, he will be with us. No matter where we go, he will be with us. No matter what happens in our lives, he will be with us. He will lift us up. He will help us through anything, whether it's church issues or personal issues or relationship issues. It doesn't mean those things don't hurt and it doesn't mean they're not difficult and it doesn't mean to just wash them away and be like, oh, I don't have to worry about this. But it means that he is there and that we can show who he is to help others, to live for him and show others what that means with a wave, a smile, a word, a a testimony, a hug, a thousand dollars, something like that. This is our witness. This is our life. James, Peter, Sundar, they're just people. But they served Christ fully. We are just people. We can serve Christ fully. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different roles. But all of us can be like Jesus. That's all I got.